0: Uh, my name's Nick. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be able to be kicking off um, our new series in Philippians. And um, at the serve team table, there are... Are you paying attention to me? Not paying attention. No. It's my wife. It's fine. I'm used to it. Um, at the serve team table, it looks like we only have... Oh, no. you know, right. I know. I am never going to win. It doesn't matter what she does, and she does some stuff. I will, I will just never win, you know. See, see. You know what I mean? Anyway, if you you want me to dish the dirt, just come and talk to me, and you know. Anyway, um, we're starting our series in uh, Philippians. One of the things that we do in the context of community is we like to go through a book in the Bible because what it does is it, it helps us. Ground what it is that we're learning. Um, and so we have these Bible journals. The first 50 are free um, and please don't go now. Um, I think there are only a couple left and then after those um, there are three bucks um, for them. I, I really like them because what it is is the book of Philippians and then just an open page for you to follow along um, as we do the series. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the power of your word. Um, Thank you for this community. Uh, Thank you for the way in which your spirit speaks to us. Thank you for the way in which you remind us of things. But thank you for the way in which you have revealed your very nature, um, your plan, your purposes, and your character through your word. Um, And I pray that uh, you would help me to be faithful to that. um, In the name of Jesus. So uh, we have this saying in our home, can you bring the other one up? Um, again, it's usually between Karen and I. I'm like, did you remember? How is it possible for you to forget? And Karen says, I do remember, and when I'm trying to remember, I forget. Um, it's, it's one of those things that is probably the most difficult thing to come to terms with in the things that we should remember and the things that we need to remember to forget. And so we've called our series on Philippians, Remember to Forget. And one of the reasons is because Paul is talking to the Philippian church. And one of the major things that he's saying is, there are things I want you to remember. And there are things that I actively want you to forget. And as we go through the book of Philippians, one of the things that we realize as humanity is that we remember the wrong things and we forget the wrong things. And that's partly why we've chosen to go through the book of Philippians. Um, there, are, there are some amazing themes in the book of Philippians. The, the one that I love is that Philippians drips with joy and affection. Um, those, those of you that are familiar with the Bible will know that Paul writes letters to churches, um, most of which he's planted and had um, some kind of leadership authority. And a lot of the time, these are corrective letters. A lot of the time, He's saying, what are you guys doing? I can't believe I heard this. Please remember that. Well, the letter to the Philippians is basically a thank you letter. And it's a, a letter that is saying to the Philippians, thank you for partnering with me in the extension of the gospel in this area in Philippine Macedonia. It is a book about team. Uh, the first verse of chapter one of Philippians says to uh, the bishops or elders or overseers, and to the deacons, and to the saints, it drips with team. Where we talk about Timothy, we talk about Paul, we talk about Silas, Epaphroditus. There's a there's a, a wonderful sense of this not just being about one person. Um, there is an amazing, fresh understanding of the power and humility of Jesus. Um, it is the book that is the antidote to anxiety, and it also helps us to live in a countercultural way. Um, even though it, as we live in, as exiles, it helps us to live in a countercultural way that brings glory to Jesus. So one of the things that we need to do, and you can throw the slide up, is, is we need to kind of uh, root ourselves, because we, we came out of Micah, we came out of a series in terms of Mercy Commons, and now we're going to read about all these names that are going to have very little context for us unless we're actually able to see them. And so I want to point out a couple of places for you. Paul was known as... Um, Saul of Tarsus. So initially, Barnabas came to meet Paul up in Tarsus. You'll hear about churches in Derbe, Iconium, and Lystra. Um, Antioch and Pisidia, just like Antioch um, in Asia was a base church, um, there is Bithynia and Pontus, Troas, and Philippi is up there. So I just want to help you ground that as we read from Acts 16. Now, why am I reading from Acts 16 if we are talking about Philippians? And Another amazing thing about the Bible is that it is one complete story. Um, and after the Gospels, where the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are expressing something of the nature and work of Jesus, the next book is the book called The Acts of the Apostles. And The Acts of the Apostles is a story of how Christianity spread out throughout the then-known world. Then we have a series of letters called epistles, and those letters actually come out of the Book of Acts. Um, almost every letter you can root in some... Um, aspect of the book of Acts. And so Acts 16 is where we find the planting of the Philippian church. And those of you that are like, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm in a Bible college lecture, you know, just relax. It will get better. Um, Paul is planting churches everywhere he goes, uh, but mainly he's planting, area, uh, planting churches in an area where the scattered Jewish population already exists. Um, they were sent from Antioch, Uh, Paul and Silas and Barnabas, and they were sent to strengthen the churches that they had already planted in those areas. Uh, But what happened just at the end of Acts 15 is um, the formation of the team, Paul and Barnabas, is there with Silas, and um, Barnabas says, I'm going to take John Mark with me. Now, John Mark is the person that we know who wrote the gospel of Mark, and I want to take John Mark with me, and Paul's like, no, I do not want to take John Mark with me. Why? Because earlier on in the book of Acts, John Mark left. Now, we don't know why he left. Uh, He left because he was sick. Maybe he left because he was sick and tired. Uh, Either way, the fact that he left did not sit well with Paul. And so Paul says, no, I don't want to take John Mark. I'm going to take Silas. And so he takes Silas. So uh, Paul, Silas, Barnabas, and John Mark, that team breaks up into two teams, and we have silas and paul and then we have john mark and barnabas and they go back to cyprus and this is where we pick up from paul acts 16 verses 1 to 15 paul also came to derby and lystra and a disciple was there named timothy the son of a jewish woman who was a believer but his father was greek he was well spoken of by the brothers at lystra and iconium paul wanted timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the jews in those places no? Okay. We'll, we'll just carry on. Okay. Uh, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance of the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And I'll talk a little more about that later on. So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatian. We can throw some of those slides up there And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and Thres, and then the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, where we remained for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. In other words, if you've judged me to be a true believer, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed or insisted or begged that they stay with her. Philippi is an interesting city. Um, uh, uh, Many years ago, what had happened is the Romans had won a great victory, and all of these veterans were coming back. And the Roman Senate was like, this is going to be a bad idea if a bunch of battle-hardened veterans decide to come back into Rome. So what we'll do is we will set up a Rome away from Rome, and we will call it Philippi. Yeah, did you like that, Priscilla? Thank you. You know what I mean. Okay, and and that's what Philippi was. Philippi was a colony of Rome in 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 terms of its architecture, its social structure, its culture, its ideals, what was worshipped, what was considered was was important. It was exactly like Rome. It was the urban, political, and trade center of that region. And it was full of retired military men, high-class Romans, politicians. And if you were born in Philippi, you were considered a Roman citizen. This this wasn't true of all of the other lands that Rome occupied. If you were born in Jerusalem, you weren't suddenly a Roman citizen. But if you were born in Philippi, you were a Roman citizen. So that was important. Now, as um, Paul and Silas land there, we realize that this is the first time they are wanting to plant a community of faith outside of their understanding of kind of Jewish culture. In order for there to be a Jewish synagogue anywhere in a city, there had to be 10 adult men. And so in Philippi, there wasn't even enough men to have a synagogue. And so usually Paul would go to a synagogue and he would teach, but now he didn't know what to do. So he just goes down to the river and he starts to teach a number of ladies. Now, Remember the vision? What was the vision? It was a man. Where was the man from? What did he meet? He met a lady. Where was she from? Thyatera. So immediately you're, you're thinking, like if I'm on Paul's team, I'm immediately thinking, man, we got, we got this wrong. You know, I'm pretty sure we got this wrong. And to make matters worse, this is how the story continues. Paul and Silas continue out through the city, and suddenly this woman who has... Um, a demonic spirit and an ability, not from God, to tell the fortune, is following them and saying, these are servants of the Most High God. These are servants of the Most High God. And she's following them and she's really irritating them. And this is what I love about Scripture. Scripture says, and Paul, annoyed, turns around and casts the demon out of her. Now you would think people would be very excited. Uh, that actually a woman that had been enslaved by a demonic spirit was freed, but her owners were very upset because her owners would use her to make money. Uh, she would go and she would tell the fortune of other people. And so they grab Paul and Silas, they throw them into prison, they beat them, and they put them in the bowels of the prison and they are locked together. And then in, at midnight, they are singing hymns and they are praising God. And suddenly the earthquake happens and all the prison all the prisoners I mean can you imagine it's one thing to be sitting there um, and to be singing praises to God as Paul and Silas and you're sitting there and you're like oh God it's so amazing that we got beaten to a pulp you know I, I don't know what they were singing I don't know how they were singing but I do know that if I was a prisoner listening to them and that's what scripture says I was listening to them and I'd be like yeah whatever and then suddenly an earthquake happens and my handcuffs fall off suddenly I'm a little more open to listening to the message (laughs) that they have. It wasn't just their handcuffs that fell off. Everyone got free. So the jailer freaks out. Uh, The jailer's like, okay, this is it. I'm going to lose my job, so I may as well end my life. And so what he wants to do is he wants to grab a sword and um, commit suicide. And Paul says, stop. Don't do it. We are all here. So the jailer comes, and we pick up in verse 28. He cries out with a loud voice. Paul says, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer calls for lights, and they rush in, and he's trembling with fear, and he falls down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out, and, and, and then he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Then they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And then, listen to this, and then he took them, that same hour, and he washed their wounds. Now, I don't know if the jailer was the one that beat them up. He could have been. He could have been the one that beat them up. But he takes them, and he washes their wounds. And he was baptized with his family. Then he brings them into his house. Then he sets food in front of them. And they rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed God and the Philippian church is born out of that now look that's amazing right i mean we didn't have an earthquake when we started this church no one was in jail you know that i know of and if you were then please let me know let's talk um but but there are a couple things that made the planning of this church you would think man there's some difficulties here the beginning of this church had some major relational complexities you know Paul and Barnabas kind of they went their separate ways because they couldn't agree on who should be part of the leadership team uh, there was the discouragement of of trying to go here and the holy spirit says no trying to go there and the holy spirit says no and 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 then we had the vagueness of, of this kind of prophetic picture and vision that that we should listen to Paul and and we're also going to a place that doesn't have a synagogue that that has no jewish culture that we can actually enter into these were less than ideal kind of markers for a church plant. But man, oh man, did they plant something of significance? Man, oh man, did God do something that glorified His name throughout that whole area so that as churches continued to be planted in Macedonia, there wasn't a space. We, we read that further on in the book of the Thessalonians 2, where the name of Jesus was not known. Last week we said that we are a family on mission. And that we are like a family in the sense that we are committed to each other, we love one another, and there's a sense of of bonding and affection. But we aren't like a family in the very narrow caricature of what a nuclear family is like. We said that what God has done is redefined the idea of family. And by God's grace, we want to be a productive, reproductive, powerful force to see Jesus' name glorified. That we want to be able to dream big and, and be able to see Jesus' name not only glorified, but other communities of faith established, just like the Philippian um, church was established. So one of the things that we learn from all of this is, uh, is that we want to value momentum over clarity. We want to value momentum over clarity. Um, I was dating Karen and um, she had a... Uh, she had it was an awful little car, actually. It was a, a Mazda 323, um, and uh, she had left the lights on. It was raining, she had left the lights on. The battery drained, and so we couldn't start the car. And it was raining, and um, so I decided, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be the man, and I'm, there was no one else around. It was just me and and I'm gonna push this car, and we're gonna start it. Now, how many of you know how to, how to push start a car? Right, like maybe six of you, okay. Bump started. You've got to get to a certain speed, and then you pop it into second gear, and then you pop the clutch, not into first gear, certainly not into reverse, Um, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Well, I had just assumed that Karin knew what to do, so I said, when I push the car, you start it, okay? Um, And there I am, pushing this car, and Karin is going like this, (laughs) trying to start the car, you know? (laughs) Then we're also running out of space because we're in a cul-de-sac. And so one of the things that we decided to do badly is okay, let's try and turn the wheel and let's push the car. No. One of the things that you will know about pushing a car is that the best thing you can do to get a car moving, even if it's in the wrong direction is to get the car moving, right? Once you get the car moving, once there's momentum, it's easy to turn that wheel and take it wherever you want to go. And there's a, there's, a, there's a sense in which what Paul um, is experiencing and what we are hoping to emulate in this sense is that, of course, we want clarity. But sometimes clarity can be the tyranny of faith. Sometimes we want things to be so clear that we don't move unless we know the very next step. And we want to be a people that value momentum over clarity. Um, sometimes the tyranny of accuracy helps, like makes us push away the inexact science of what it means to be spirit-led, right? Paul has this vision of a man from Macedonia. And then we decide we should go to Macedonia. Let me, let me tell you what that's like. It's like Neil saying, I have a vision of a man from Denver. Okay, Neil. He's saying, come and help us. So what do we do? Well, we know where Denver is. We know we've got to go through a couple of places to get there. Where should we go? Um, Well, I don't know. Which suburb of Denver, which uh, area would be the best to go to? Um, We don't know. So we'll just sit there until God kind of makes it a whole lot clearer. No, what they did is that we saw that God was leading us. So we got up and off we went. (laughs) And when they get there, it doesn't look like the risk paid off, does it? When they get there, there's no synagogue, there's no men. And remember, in those days, for men to talk to women about the things of God, that wasn't what happened normally. In fact, women were isolated and separated, even in the context of synagogues. But Paul is sitting there and like, well, God has told me to come here. I'm going to do the last thing that I remember he told me to do, which is to preach the gospel. And I don't care if there is a man here or if there isn't. I don't care if there's a woman here or a whole bunch of women here. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. This is not an excuse for flakiness. And this is what I want us to understand. Let's not confuse closed doors, because Paul experienced the number of closed doors. He went there, the Holy Spirit prevented him Let's not, let's not confuse closed doors and wandering around, doing whatever I want, and God will take care of it. In other words, I'm going to do whatever it is I want, and if God wants to stop me, he'll close the door. Okay, have you, have you guys heard of that? Yeah, it's called very poor theology, right? <laughs> so, no, I'm, you know, I'm just going to move forward in this, and God can close the door. I'm like, no, how about listening to what it is that He's called you to do. But Nick, God hasn't said anything to me. Really? Really, He hasn't? Because this Bible is full of the general commands of God. Full of the general commands of God. And one thing we do is immobilize ourselves because we don't have the specific commands of God. So we just stay there. So either what we do is we're going to do our own thing until God closes the door, or... The counter on that is, I'm not going to do anything until I have a vision. And so I'm just going to sit here until God gives me a vision. And what I love about the planting of the Philippian church is that the, the idea of being spirit-led is much more of an art than it is a science. And there's a number of things that we need to take into account when it comes to those things. In terms of prophetic words, visions, sometimes something is a trigger and not a target. I remember when... Um, when when we were going through the process of whether we should move to to the States or not, five years prior to that, um, I was walking around um, our home and I was thanking God um, for the fact that that even as young as we were, we had the opportunity for the bank to own a home. And, uh, (laughs) and, um, And I remember, this is the clearest God has ever spoken to me. I remember that moment, God saying, enjoy this. This is my gift to you, but you won't be here in five years. And so I wrote that down like I did with most of the prophetic words that God has given me, and I wrote it down. Um, and then when we moved our house from this house to a, a different house, I kind of closed the chapter on that, and I thought, okay, that, that was done. That's, that's what that meant. Although when, I, when, I, when, when God opened the door for us to come here, I remember reading that word, and we landed here two days prior to five years of that word being fulfilled, and I thought that was over, and that gave me such courage and faith. Now, understand this. I, did, we, I didn't move my whole family here because of that, but what it did is it gave me such courage and such faith to be able to, to know in the dark times, they have been dark times, to say, but God, I know that you've called me here, and when you're in that prison, shackled to your friend, and saying, I told you there's no man here. I told you this was a ridiculous idea. You need to know that God has called you. There, there are still things, guys, that I'm trying to figure out in terms of, in terms of being led by the Spirit. As, as we go on our journey for finding a building, people have given me numbers of prophetic words. And it would be great if those prophetic words matched. But some of them are opposite. You know, some of them are like, your building will be here. Some of them are like, your building will be there. I'm like, well, one of you is wrong. (laughs) And I hope it's not God, you know. But maybe years from now, when God gifts us with a physical footprint for us to be able to serve our city better, those things will begin to make sense. I mean, anyway, I'm not going to talk more about that. We, We need to be tough, but not hard. There's a a difference. We need to be tough, but not hard. All of these people were anticipating suffering as they went to proclaim the gospel. They were anticipating it. Timothy, right? Guys, especially guys, listen to this. Paul comes to Timothy and says to him, I want you to join my missionary trip. You're like, yeah, I'm all in. Little thing, though, you need to be circumcised. He's not... Eight days old, people. (laughs) You know what I mean? There is no anesthetic. There is no painkillers. There is no comfortable ride to the next place. They walked wherever they went, on ships wherever they went. And Timothy's like, okay, I'll do it. You know what is even more jacked up, right? (laughs) Jacked up is a theological term. Just look it up. You know what, what is even more messed up than that? They were delivering a decree from the Jerusalem council that was saying that Gentiles did not have to be circumcised. They literally got a letter from the Jerusalem council, and the Jerusalem council are saying, Yes, we do not want to put a greater burden on our Gentile brothers. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for recognizing that burden, you know. And so Paul says, But even though it's not necessary, Will you do this because it's helpful? And Timothy says, yes. Whoa, that's intense. Sometimes we read things in the Bible and we just read quickly over it. Like one of the things is when Joseph was in prison and seven years passed, you know, and we're like, whoa, what, what just happened? And he took Timothy and he circumcised him and they moved on. Man, that is a massive sacrifice. Timothy's tough. Everyone wants to make out like Timothy's some weird little sickly guy. Let me tell you, anyone that says, yeah, I'm willing to do that is no wimp in my book, right? (laughs) This is Paul's second time in Lystra. And those of you that will be aware of the story of Paul in Acts, what happened to Paul in Lystra the first time he was there? He was stoned, okay? What else happened? He was left for dead and dragged outside the city. So if you're saying to me, hey, Nick, uh, let's go back to, I don't know, choose a bad city. No, let's not choose a bad city. Let's, let's say Lystra. Let, <laughs> you know, hey, I think we should go strengthen the churches in Lystra. And I'm sitting there, uh, the last time I was in Lystra, I was stoned and left for dead. They dragged my city, my, my body outside of the city. People prayed for me and revived me. I'm like, is there a way we could not do Lystra? Like... Like maybe you could do Lystra and, and, and I could go around that. It, it, there's no question. It, it doesn't even come up in Scripture that Paul wouldn't do that. He's there. Now this is, just remember, they know about Timothy. And Timothy knows about them. So they, they, have, uh, they have spoken before. Timothy has either witnessed or knew about the time that Paul was stoned in Lystra. Because they, they have connected in terms of those cities. So, so here is this guy who's inviting you to come with him on a trip. And everywhere this guy goes, bad things happen. Everywhere. Prison, beatings, um, persecutions, everywhere. And now he's asking you to just get circumcised just as a little thing to go with him. Talk about tough. Silas is the only one in the story that does not know what's about to happen. He's the only one that has not experienced any of this kind of pain. He's about to wake up to it, though. Because every time you see Paul and Silas in the future, they're getting into trouble, and it's Paul's fault most of the time, right? I'm convinced, though, that if you told, told Silas that you, will be in, that you will be beaten, that you will be imprisoned, that you will be confused, and that he will say, for the privilege of the gospel, I will do that. Why? Because they are singing in the bowels of the prison. Hard people are ungracious, unsympathetic, and unloving, but tough people are resilient, sacrificial, and unselfish. And, and as tough people, we need to call each other to deeper levels of faith and empowerment. And yes, we, we need to be able to walk with people that are that are in difficult circumstances, but part of our role is to actually be able to say, but God has empowered you to be able to live beyond your current circumstances. You know, we become... We become hard when we compare our suffering. You know, we, when, I mean, so think about this. Silas is sitting in the prison. If this was me, and you know, if this was me, I'd be saying to Paul, I told you so. I told you. No man, no person from Macedonia, some purple dealer, and here we are, because you got mad, and you had to cast that demon out, and here I sit, beaten and imprisoned with you and by the way where is Timothy where is he did he just run away because it's just me and you here you know he's also part of this band why is he not stuck in prison with you when we compare our suffering because you don't see this with Timothy and Silas they don't compare their suffering with each other they compare their suffering with the suffering that Jesus suffered in order to be able to bring us peace with God and they said this is nothing Compared to that. Now, do I need to suffer to prove my worth to God? No. That's not how that works. But when I understand the gift that I've received, and when I understand the love that God has, and the power that he has, which we see here, I am willing to be able to suffer. Now, in our context, suffering really means inconvenience. It's unlikely. Well, I can tell you this. You will never be asked to be circumcised to go on a missionary trip. Never. That will never happen. It is unlikely that you will be imprisoned. I I, I can't say never, but it is unlikely that you will be imprisoned. What you may be asked is to inconvenience yourself for the sake of the gospel. How many of us would say yes if we knew that saying yes would mean hardship for us? Just like it did for Timothy. Just like it did for Paul. Most of us are like Silas. Yes. Oh my goodness, what just happened? Karin and Keona have this arrangement, and this is partly our levels of maturity in the context of community. Um, Karin hates errands, and Keona hates laundry. So what they do is they switch those out, right? So Karin says, hey Keona, you got to do laundry. Keona's like, well, do you need to go to the store? And Karin's like, yeah, I do. Well, I'll go to the store if you do my laundry, right? One of the things about an immature community is that an immature community is like a baby. Um, a baby believes that the whole world exists for their benefit, and and really, we do, right? A baby can't do anything on its own, so everyone exists for the benefit of the baby. Then we think we become a little more mature, and we exist for the mutual benefit of each other. Okay, you do the laundry, I'll do the you know I'll, I'll do the groceries, you know, or okay, you do this because I don't like doing that, but. But real, mature Christianity is when we exist for the benefit of others. It's like, I I will do that because that's important. Not because I derive some kind of benefit from it. Without a compelling vision um, of Jesus and the beauty of His church, without a love, joy, and affection fueling us, tough people can become hard people. And that's not what we want to be. We want to be a, a, a... a community, a family on mission that desires leadership and consensus. Leadership has got a terrible rap, mainly because leadership is either abusive or completely insipid. It's either too dictatorial or what it is is a pooling of our mutual ignorance so that everyone's opinion is heard and no right decision is ever made. There are times when leaders need to make a call, and you could legitimately question every one of Paul's calls in this area. Was it necessary to circumcise Timothy? Timothy will be the first person to say, no, it wasn't necessary to do that. And it wasn't. They were taking the decree saying, it's not necessary to do that. Was it necessary for them to leave John Mark behind? No, you could say that that wasn't necessary. That that was particularly harsh. When things go well, we tend not to question the decisions that are made. But when things don't go so well, then we tend to question the decisions that leaders make. So it's in the prison where I'm tied up with Paul, where I'm suddenly going through the series of decisions that got us here and thinking to myself, you made a bunch of bad decisions. This is important in Scripture. In verse... um, I dropped my notes, but it's there. Don't worry about it. Paul has the vision... And, and these are important words. And we concluded that God had called us to go. Now that's very, very important. Because none of them could say, like probably likely I would say, none of them could say, I didn't sign up for this. But Paul has the vision and we concluded there was leadership and there was consensus. There was a sense in which we all agreed that this is what should happen we this is the first time that that word we is used in that context because before that it says he they now we healthy families need consensus but they also need leadership and part of this is there's too many quote spirit-led people that want to use the idea of being spirit-led in order to absolve themselves of any kind of communal responsibility So what we do is we take God's name in vain and we say, I feel like God is moving me on. I feel like God wants me to do this or I don't feel like God wants me to do this. Now that could be true. But part of the joy of being in community is the fact that there should be a consensus with regards to the decisions that you're making because you are not just some isolated person. You are part of a community of faith. (laughs) Guys, the decisions Paul made had a dramatic impact on every one of his team, and vice versa. And so we see that. We make too many mistakes. The the one mistake we make is is we come and we say, okay, the Spirit has told me to do this. Basically, when people come to me and say, God has told me to do this. I'm like, well, great. I can't say any. If God has told you to do that, then you must do that. Otherwise, you would be disobedient. Now, there's a... there's numbers of people that have, that have come to the leadership of the church with this posture that is very, very different. I feel like God is stirring me, or more accurately, I feel like I want to. Why can't we just say that? I feel like I want to. Do you know that, that in the context of Acts, and Paul would say many times, I want to. I want to, I desire to, I desire to get to you. There's no sense in that our desires are automatically wrong, but there has to be a sense in which our desires align to the will and purpose of God. Hey, I want to do this. Won't you join me in prayer? Because this is the problem. I don't know that I can trust my heart. And I don't know that I can trust the people that are closest to me because they will want what's best for me. And the way that I will explain this to them will make it very clear that this is what's best for me, you know? One of the most profound experiences that I've had, and we've had many people in the context of this community saying, Nick, this is what we're feeling. will not you join me in prayer? But one of, one of them is a, a couple in this church invited me and another pastor because they had a, a relationship with, with a, an, another person in another church and said, we are looking at making a dramatic decision that will affect where we live. And we want you, because you are our pastor and him, their pastor, to meet with us, to hear us out, and spend some time praying with us so that we know we're making the right decision. I was gobsmacked. Actually, not really, because I, I, I talk when I'm nervous. So, the, I mean, I, I sat there, and I left, and I said to Karen, I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that before. And in a sense, it's almost it almost doesn't matter what decision was made because the process that that decision took was so God-honoring in that way. We live in a culture of hyper-individualism where really what we want is not truth. We want affirmation. We want someone to affirm our perspective or our decision. And actually in this context, We need some people sometimes to say, man, I think you could be making a decision on the wrong set of circumstances, or I think there might be some hidden motive that maybe you need to deal with before God. This is not about control, guys. Hear me. This is about using this community to protect you from making the kinds of decisions that will hurt. Lastly, we need to be a hospitable, inclusive, and intentional community. Man, when I look at, at Lydia, the scripture, I love the scripture. God opened her heart. You know, we cannot save anyone. God saves. God opens people's hearts. God forgives their sins. God pursues. We have the privilege to actually meet with people and tell them of this God that is able to open their hearts and says, and, and God opened her heart. And what did she do? She opened her home. Now, she was a switched on businesswoman. I mean, she probably had a villa which could kind of um, um, entertain that entire Philippian church for a while. That's how churches were planted in those days. Um, And and she was what what can be known as, as a gospel patron. She used her financial means to be able to create an environment for the gospel to flourish. Now, it's not just Lydia. Everyone has something to offer. When you read about Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, there's an amazing thing where he says, your faith through your mother and your grandmother. It doesn't matter what situation you are in life, what position you are in life, you have something to offer. It was Timothy's mother and grandmother that prepared him for this kind of life. Ultimately, he would be leading the Ephesian church. I don't think... They sat him down with a curriculum that said to those who want to lead the Ephesian church, no, they just did what they knew to do. And they gave themselves to Timothy and brought him up in the way of the Lord. And now we have this man that has affected Ephesus and was on apostolic journeys with Paul. Everyone has something to offer. Whether you're raising a family or like Robin Christie, fourteen, fifteen. How many years have you done children's ministry? 25 years, 25 years discipling our children in children's ministry. Your mother and your grandmother. Your faith is because of your mother and your grandfather. Everyone is something. Megan was telling me about her mom. And Megan's telling her mom, mom, just show up. You've been married for so many years. You've had all these kids. You don't need to be profound. You just need to be there. Everyone has something to offer. Yes, we know what Lydia gave, but the jailer, I mean, come on, right? He is responsible for their pain. He runs in and he says, guys, what must I do to be saved? Oh, and let me wash your wounds. Oh, and let me give you food. Do you know how awkward that must have been? I mean, I've been in like little altercations with people where, you know, we've got a little more intense emotionally. And that relationship is strained. I've never beaten anyone and put them in prison and then invited them home for food. You know? His life has completely changed. He's like, I understand why I'm here. Him and his family get baptized in that moment and his immediate response is what? To serve, to give, to be able to be part of this covenant community. She begged them. It says she begged, she persuaded, she insisted that they say, don't put limits on who you can reach. I mean, just think about this. There's a slave girl, a rich, wealthy woman, and a jailer. Um, Orange County Sheriff, a Gucci dealer, and some weird New Age mystic. That's the core of our church plant, just so you know. Man, God can do amazing things with people that are open. Steve Timmons says this, The church, then, is not something additional or optional. It is at the very heart of God's purpose. Jesus came to create a people who would model what it means to live under his reign. It would be a glorious outpost of the kingdom of God, an embassy of heaven. This is where the world can see what it means to be truly human. Our identity as human beings is found in community. Our identity as Christians is found in Christ's new community. And our mission takes place through communities of light. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be a glorious body by the power that enables Him. And we've misread this. So we've misread this to say, well, our citizenship isn't here. Our citizenship is in heaven. So basically what we do is we just hang on for grim death and then we'll just pop out to heaven. No. Just like Philippi was an outpost of Rome, we are created to be an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. Just like Philippi was to shape the culture of Macedonia by displaying what it was like to live under Roman rule, we are designed as a family on mission to create a colony of heaven and earth. So when people look at us, they're like, that's what heaven looks like. The way you treat each other, the way you love each other, the way you deal with setbacks, the way you deal with, um, with kind of uh, relational stickiness, all of that displays something of the joy of God. we have to live a satisfied, purposeful, joyful life. And as we said last week, Mercy Commons, we do that because we revel in the mercy of God. And because we revel in the mercy of God, God has called us to proclaim His mercies. God has called us to demonstrate His mercy. God has called us to participate in acts of mercy for the common good and for His glory. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank You for... I I want to thank You firstly for the power of Your Word that in it we see the fragility of humanity and the power of God. And consistently, we don't see a bunch of amazing heroes that in and of themselves did mighty things. We see you using ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And we say that we are just ordinary people that have been rescued by the mercy of God. And we wanna be a people that revel in that mercy. We want to be a people that proclaim the glories of the one that called us out of darkness into life. We want to demonstrate through the power of your spirit and and through acts of kindness what our God looks like. Uh, And we want to be a fragrant aroma of Jesus as we walk into the city. And so God, I pray that as, as we look at the beginnings of this community, that we would be grateful for what you have built. And yet you would stir within us a deep sense of faith for what you can build. And Father, for those that have traveled with us, those that understand your grace, those of us that have been justified and sanctified and are looking forward to our glorification, those of us that are reveling in our adoption and our love, God, I want to pray for just a fresh encounter that even as you've already met us this morning. But God, for those jailers out there that are like, I don't really get what's going on. Father, I want to pray that as we, as we respond in worship, I want to pray that, that you by your Holy Spirit would just whisper the, the sweetest, simplest message. Just believe in the Lord Jesus who came and lived the life we could not live, who came and died the death that we deserve to die who was raised on the third day and is seated at the right hand of God praying for you now would you believe in the Lord Jesus